Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to our first post-Passover episode of Jerusalem U's The Israel Teachers Lounge, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Okay, I hope I don't cough too much in this episode, though, because I've been kind of have this lingering cough, so... Yeah, this one's, this one's stubborn. It's lasting a while. Yeah, it's a Polish cough I got in Poland, so I guess it doesn't want to go. <laughs> you should get a nice Israeli cough. Yeah, it gets lazy. It does half its work. It doesn't finish. Yeah, then Medi- it comes back. Mediterranean in the afternoon, it stops, takes a nap. <laughs> it's a cough siesta. Uh, but hopefully we'll make it through. Uh, we are still in very interesting times. So we wanted to sort of, uh, certainly uh, the, the activity at the northern border is interesting, but I think more uh, needed to unpack is what's going on at the southern border. So you want to get the Syria out of the way first, the country formerly known as Syria, out of the way first, and then we'll take a look at Gaza? <laughs> sure. Um, although I would make my, my one note to that is that we are recording on Wednesday, which means by the time this goes up, things could very well change drastically in Syria. But Wednesday at what time? Uh, Wednesday at probably about at 1 o'clock, one fifteen. All right, so this may be totally out of date, but I don't think it will be totally no. out of date. Won't totally be out of date, but things could really are, are very hot in Syria right now, and with a triangle or a, or a square between you know Israel or, or a hexagon, whatever uh, Israel, um, Iran, Syria, Russia, and America um, is really this like multiple thing going on since since Syria's civil war broke out in 2011, Israel has been cautious about its movements on the northern border, but has always drawn a red line. The red line is that when it sees that there is potential present or future game-changing danger to Israel, it will act. And it has acted more and more over the last two years on a continuing basis of bombing raids and on the northern border in Syria itself um, to really prevent the big, the big, I think, uh, headline is to prevent Iran from getting a real stronghold in Syria, which Israel sees as a as an existential threat. And not all of it publicly. Some of it is, uh, in fact, they, they this even this bombing raid from this past week seems to be Israel's not commenting on whether they did it. Although the consensus seems to be it was Israel. There's also commando stuff going on behind the scenes. Why is Israel not? being overt and making its case that we, you know, don't tread on me and being very public about defending itself. Why is it doing things clandestinely? (laughs) Well, the main reason for that is it gives the other side the ability not to have to escalate. I mean, even if they know it and they say it and then they do like a a, um, like a response, uh, the response doesn't have to be overwhelming. So both sides kind of have, it's almost like a like a milchemed atasha. Was that name? Uh, war of attrition. Yeah, like a war of attrition. Both sides know they don't want to go into an out, out and out right conflict, but they they do these little small acts of aggression. You call them fighting, and as as long as you can kind of hold on to plausible deniability, it means that the other side doesn't have to ratchet up too much, and then it keeps things on a low simmer as opposed to an out, all out conflict. Um, and that all conflict really means between really uh, less Israel and Syria today. We're really talking about more about Israel and Iran. Now, in this raid that Israel did in in Syria, uh, they killed Iranians. 
the killer Iranians, and there's also a bunch of discussion of whether the Russians were notified and were and got out of there beforehand. It seems to be that's an undercurrent. It's not so clear on that what happened there, but yeah, they killed Iranians, and that's not the first time. There was an incident two years ago on the northern border in the Golan, where Israel took out a very big uh, Hezbollah commander and also killed an Iranian general and a couple other Iranian soldiers or officers. So it, it, the Iranians were taken out, but again, Iranians were killed because that is the reason for the, the raid was that Israel's trying to stop Iranian stronghold and this was a base that Iran, Iran has um, launched, if you remember, in February, the drone from, um, which entered uh, Israel and then Israel they shut down an Israeli plane. And so that's the whole... Um, I guess core of it is why the Iranians got killed is because that was kind of the target. Uh-huh. Right, Israel's trying to make sure that Iran, Iran doesn't get a strategic foothold right across its northern border. Um, it's 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 also partially what we've been talking about in the past is that Israel is trying to keep its relationship with Russia open as America becomes sort of more withdrawn from the region and Israel wants to keep its options open by keeping friendly with Russia. As a country, Russia supports Iran. So in Israel and fighting Iran is... And Syria, which is technically still an enemy of Israel. Not technically, is really. So Israel's really walking a tightrope in trying to keep Iran off its border. I don't know that they're trying to keep Assad from... I don't think Assad's in a position to meddle with Israel particularly. But they really just don't want the Iranians to dig in and and be able to assault them from there. And to be able to do that without ticking off the Russians is a little bit more tricky. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and the Russians, uh, it's again, it's a tricky balance. Israel, Russians also don't want to get into a conflict with Israel. It's not that, it's not that, obviously Israel is not going to go to war with Russia. I can't really see that happening. Uh, but but uh, a war, Israel's a powerful army also. It's not like, you know, uh, Russia walking into the Ukraine even or, or, or Chechnya or those places. Um, so the Russians also have, a, have ver- a very much a a um, desire to keep things um, very clear and peaceful with Israel, and of course, the backing of America to Israel is is very very strong. So Russia doesn't want that conflict. So for Russia, their game is really the control of Syria, because they have a very important bases and a very important port in Syria. So that's really their gateway to the Middle East. So that's what they're concerned about, and they don't want to make it worse than that. I mean, that's been their goal for literally like not just decades, like forever since the Tsar. To have an open uh, port to the Mediterranean was part of like the Crimean War, and I mean that's it's an it's a very old Russian strategic goal. Which is why Russia has supported Syria in the civil war. Bashar Assad was exactly for that because of that port, um, and and their long term strategy says paid off as the as the rebels are being pushed back and back and back, and that's exactly the that's the the unknown. Quantity we're playing with right now, you know, rolling the dice is because of the gas, sarin gas attack on civilians over the over the weekend, um, which um, has been photographed and sent out, and it's very. Well, clear. that's just bringing the American attention. Exactly. So that's exactly right. So that's the unknown quantity because now it's bringing the tr- President Trump and the Americans to really ratchet up against the Syrians. Why this gas attack and not the five previous gas attacks since the last American bomb? No, the one. What do you mean five? There have been there have been essentially like five uh, other yeah. chemical attacks. I, I mean, I, I mean that's just the roll of the dice of President Trump. I think. No, I think it's that this one had photographs. 
the other ones did too, didn't they? No, no we didn't have it. Didn't this one went viral? The photographs went viral. There's some dispute over whether uh, they're authentic. I mean, obviously, Assad and his government and the Russians are denying that these are Assad casualties, and it is very confusing because both sides of the conflict are using chemical weapons. So they're saying this is a frame, but uh, it seems to be that the Americans are getting more involved because there's pictures. Right. Well, we know President Trump is very moved by visual. So. Uh, I wouldn't say it's only President Trump. I would say that's. I mean, you have what half a million dead in the Syrian civil war, and people get jumping up and down when they see pictures. Such as Trump. Don't forget, twelve million displaced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a. It's a. It's it's a mess. Not, and that's not even getting started in Yemen where you have hundreds of thousands of casualties from war and disease and starvation and cholera. But that we don't have pictures of that. I think there's something we have to, as a human race, at least be self-aware, I think, that we are motivated when we see uh, pictures of things going wrong and not, not the knowledge that things are wrong. There's something strange about our civilization at this point that we can ignore these tragedies because they're conceptual until we see photographs and then we say, well, we have to do something. I have a photograph. I mean, that's a bigger discussion of the whole shift in warfare and uh, all these issues during the 20th century when things are actually, you know, became documented uh, visually. And, and of course, that's bringing in the 21st century and why today we're Erev Yom HaShoah. The Shoah is one of the most documented you know, tragedies in human history, which is one of the reasons why it's, it has so much, it, it is so, there's so much written about it. It is the most written about historical event. Um, um, and very much part of that is the pictures and moving pictures, right? We call movies. So either we as a civilization have to act on things that aren't photographed and documented because we know they're happening, like North Korea, Yemen, etc., or we have to make sure as human race that everything is photographed and gotten out there. It seems to be we're moving more in that direction but at least that's maybe going in the right direction it seems to be that right number two um, but I think so uh, maybe we'll move down to Gaza if you moved us down to Yemen we'll stay in the south okay let's cross over from Gaza a little uh, from Yemen I guess we just say it's a trend. keep your eyes on the north in Syria it's not you know, going away anytime soon of course if we're going west from Yemen we're going to end up in Ethiopia aren't we so we have to go a little bit north again to get back to Gaza correct, correct. Um, so Gaza is uh, I, I, the Gaza is as as tense as I remember in the last like maybe decade or even since 2006 that hasn't hap- have rocket attack involved in it. That's a, a, a change, right? All the tension that's happened with Gaza is in the 21st century. Really, has always included, almost always included, uh, rocket fire. And now we've not had any rocket fire, um, but the the movements on the border, the cross border, uh, cro- crossing the border, which is happening on a daily event, people rushing the fence, putting bombs down on the fence, is happening daily now. Soldiers um, in conflict, and the big thing is this march of return. Um, which was declared before Pesach. We mentioned it before Pesach to keep your eyes on it. And now it is becoming more and more uh, prevalent in the whole Gaza struggle, which is what is the March of Return that thousands and thousands of Gazans marched to the fence um, in a symbolic uh, threat (laughs) to cross the border and come back into what we call Israel proper. Um, And with that, 
there's a percentage, I don't even know what percentage, I don't even know anybody knows what percentage, but there's certainly a percentage that turns that, uses that cover of thousands of civilians for violence, which is a typical Hamas strategy, using the cover of civilians for violence, which is violence such as throwing Molotov cocktails, planting bombs on the fence to, to get soldiers sniper fire, which they don't really seem to talk about it in the American newspapers, but there's sniper fire going on from the, from the Gazan side, um, and burning, of course, then burning tires and the more the more popular throwing of rocks and things like that. So it's definitely a violent demonstration with lots of nonviolent actors also. Um, and the idea is to threaten the border or you know threaten the border of Israel with Gaza. Well, that that, that to me is the key. <clears throat> every country deals with a certain amount of violence in protest or riots or whatever. I don't know about every country, but certainly in the West, we're we're familiar with that. Israel certainly has been since the first intifada but the idea of and not only the idea of but the actual work to get past the border the idea to violate the 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 border is i think a key difference that separates it from a protest the fact that it's a violent protest people have been arguing i saw in the media between peaceful protest and violent protest to me the issue isn't violent protest to me the issue is border incursion if you if you're trying to break through the border you're doing some. You are attacking the state of Israel, and and people are saying, well, how how much? Of, people are complaining about the rules of engagement. You know, how come Palestinians are dying? Are those Israeli soldiers really in danger before they fire? Uh, that seems to be a, a complaint that's going around, and I think it's missing a key issue, which is, are people trying to break the border of Israel? If you cross a nation's border when you're where and how you are not allowed to, I don't care if it's Canada and the U.S. You can't just do that without permission with a soldier standing there. You, soldiers have to take action to protect the integrity of that border. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talk about it as border as, as a border issue. Um, there's a lot of things going on here to address the border issue. The reason why, unfortunately, the narrative that has gone out there is that Israel is still occupying Gaza. So therefore, it delegitimizes Israel's borders' rights, let's say. That, that's the narrative that's being fought. Uh, well, if, if Gaza was its own entity, and it was really not, but you're occupying it, you have a siege on it, you have these things, which, which um, it is true, Israel controls three of the borders, not all of them. Egypt controls one of the borders. Well, I think Israel and Egypt share the sea border. Oh, okay, right, so... Right, yeah. so I'm not disagreeing, I'm just clarifying. Yeah. No, me'achuz. But the... The point, the, so that narrative that Israel is, you know, still occupying Gaza because we control the borders, then they use that to delegitimize the borders. So therefore, your that argument that you're making, which I agree with, is is that they're they're moving it away from a border, a border struggle, and saying, oh, you're Ill- illegal occupying them. I think that it's it's this continual lose lose situation that Israel finds itself in with Gaza. Well, I think I think if you look at Hamas strategically. The rockets were both to increase morale, you know, of look at us fighting Israel, it was to manage to damage Israeli morale, but it was also, and ultimately towards the end, I think it mostly became, let's, ca- let's cause the Israelis to inflict casualties on the Arabs of Gaza as a uh, political, you know, a public relations blow against Israel. I think this is, that strategy has dried up because Israel inflicted enough damage that I think Hamas was worried about holding on to power in that in that kind of through that kind of carnage it just Israel made it too heavy a price on their end this is a this one is 
smaller scale on their end. It, it, it's less of an investment, but it's still a man, they still manage to give Israel a public relations black eye. Right. I mean, and again, it does that, and that's why I think it's a lose-lose situation exactly for that, because Hamas it, continually, and Hamas, Gaza, and, and the, uh, you know, maybe you want to say the media world, managed to keep it focused on, oh, Israel's, you know, bo- the border issue and blaming Israel as opposed to saying, wait a second, you know, Hamas, the, the Gazans, had every opportunity set up an independent running, if you don't want to say a nation state, at least an independent entity that was that was functioning and would have uh, would could prosper. And at every turn, they've they've chosen to deny that to keep up the um, you know the uh, fundamentals Muslim control of that area, uh, which has like I think now over fifty percent of unemployment, and where there's no jobs, no regular electricity. I mean, it, it really is. It's it's a, it's a nightmare that's going on there, and they manage continually with these kind of actions to turn that nightmare accusatorily on Israel, both externally around the world, but also internally in Gaza. Correct, exactly, and I think, and that's the lose lose situation Israel finds itself in, um, because there, there there is no answer as long as we're, the 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 finger is continually being pointed at Israel, as opposed to being taking responsibility for that area that you can control, which is a doesn't do because it doesn't occupy or run Gaza. That's really up to that's really up to them in Gaza. I don't think, by the way, I would just uh, clarify. I don't think that what I'm seeing in the media again is is that this is a border issue. The way I'm seeing it presented is this: these are protests, more or less peaceful, and that part is clearly disingenuous to say that these are peaceful. That's disingenuous. But even those that are acknowledging, okay, so they're 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 violent protests. But the fact that Israeli soldiers are shooting Palestinians shouldn't be part of their rules of engagement. There's something wrong here. Which, by the way, I mean, I would support an Israeli investigation into seeing if this was handled correctly, if mistakes, and they are. Let's see if mistakes were made or not. But in general, there's another factor that gets left, which is the border factor. You can't assault a country's borders. You can't dig through. People have literally cut through and crossed the border from a hostile group into our country. You have to stop that. You can't put bombs on our side of the border and expect not to be shot. That's just that's an act of war. But no. So what I meant by a border issue, I mean, I was unclear. I guess is that they've managed to make this into like an illegitimate border. So you erase that. Well, it's civil protest. These are people under your control, and they're protesting your rule. We do not control them. We do not rule them. We do control their imports and exports for our own security. Maybe an element of that is punitive, but I don't think that's. I think in 2010, the punitive stuff really got mostly. I think there was more punitive stuff going on before 2010, and I think mostly that's been worked out, although it wouldn't surprise me if there's still an element of that, but it's essentially a security control of imports and exports to a hostile enemy, which, as you're pointing out, is more devoted to holding power by increasing enmity with Israel than to actually building infrastructure and industry and getting factories and investments of different international companies to set up in Gaza to give people work. They certainly... As we keep predicting, every time there's an, an attempt at getting the West Bank Palestinians to work with the Gaza Palestinians, it just dissolves into acrimony, and it is again now. Fatah in, in the West Bank is turning its back again on, on Aza because as long as Hamas is ruling it, then they'll never be blah, 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 blah. So, it's not even Fatah. If we said the, I think in Khaled Abu Thomas article, 
where he says that I mean the, the man on the street in the West Bank is just not really interested in what's going on people are still going out to dinner weddings are happening which is you didn't have in the first and second intifada you had when someone was killed in Gaza you'd, you know it would break out protests in the West Bank and vice versa um, so uh, you see that there's, there's a real division within the Palestinians themselves. There's a lack of sense of cohesion among people who call themselves Palestinians. There's West Bank Palestinians and Gaza Palestinians. They don't even really see themselves as one unit as they used to. Yeah, and uh, you know that's another part of the problem. I think we, we have to deal with, I think, that little movie. Yeah, so I'm going to let you take the lead because I actually couldn't watch it. The film of the sniper, after the sniper takes out... Well, before, during, and after. There's a, there some, apparently, in one of... I don't know which unit it was... Because it was really hard to like even pay attention to, because it's pretty disappointing, even though it's not so, not so such a shock. Um, is that there was a, a movie taken though? May have you, many of you probably have seen about um, Israeli snipers by the border. It was filmed the whole process before, during, and after, and and how uh, you know excited the troops were who were around there and then once they got the guy celebrating woohoo woohoo you know celebrating which is uh, you know an unfortunate part of of war i'm not i'm not going to justify i'm not going to rationalize it but you know that's how soldiers act they're they're people who are trained you know for you know years to to fight an enemy and it's the kind of thing that when you step back from the front line if you see it it looks Shocking, but that's what happens on every front line, everywhere, always. Is you're trying to defeat your enemy, you lose that sense of perspective because you're engaged in the work of being a soldier. Right, and and part of having to defeat your enemy is to unfortunately um, uh, not the, not abstract your enemy, but make your enemy into an enemy. Not to see them as a human being, but really seeing them as an enemy. Um, uh, and that, that that's what soldiers do, and that's what soldiers are trained to do. Our job in the back, and I think, and with this investigation being open, is to put a, a break on that and say, no, the, you know. Well, I think the investigation is supposed to have been closed. They found, first of all, there was this claim that the film, the film, the celebratory people weren't the people with the actual sniper who made the actual shot. So you're seeing a different group celebrating that somebody else, which to me is irrelevant to the thing, but they also said it shouldn't have been filmed. The government's response was it more, was more, I think they closed the investigation. Nobody did, every Everybody followed the rules of engagement properly, and they shouldn't have filmed people celebrating. Now, you could say soldiers on the front line should be showing more, what, mature... I mean, maybe I, 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 that's a hard burden on a soldier on the front line. And also, it's like, look, in the end of the day, you know, soldiers are 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, um, that's why we have soldiers that age, I would say. It's not that we think it's appropriate behavior. It's that... It's it's that's what that's what soldiers do. Soldiers don't they curse and they they swagger and they smoke and they do. That's part of the soldiering. This is a very ugly job and it brings out behavior that's not. And the people, and the people we're sending there to do it. In 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 our case in Israel, it's most of our children. In my case, as you know, I talk about them, is, is in fact my son. Um, and uh, you know, that, that's who we're sending to do our dirty our dirty work. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of them are. Even in that scenario, would it behave that way? No. This one was caught on film, and it's 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 part of the public relations smack on Israel that this entire thing is engendering, which is really what they're trying to get. So I would ask you, how am I supposed to talk about this on campus or you know outside of the Jewish bubble? Well, I mean, certainly, I I, I certainly think that the the you're you're on your back foot. You start on your back foot because it, it looks bad, but. 
I, I do think you have to make clear that this is about an attempt to violate the border. It's not a peaceful pro. This is not. This is not people having a civil rights rally, and there may be people there for a civil rights rally. I mean, this is. I think it was. It kind of started as a grassroots thing before Hamas really exploited wow. it. But you know, the, Israel has to deal with all aspects of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I mean, that's right. I think it did start as grassroots. I, I'm also a little bit reminded of the first Intifada. Really, where it was really a grassroots thing that was eventually then you know hijacked by more, more violent and elites with their own power agendas, um, which I guess happens in most grassroots mo- movements at one point or another. But this was very quickly. <laughs> and I think also Israel back in those days used to try to keep the media away from things. I think partially to Israel's credit, it doesn't. It's harder today than it was then. But things are going to get out there, and you're going to see video, and it's going to be troubling. And the media is going to frame it. Uh, first of all, by the visual, again, it goes back to our discussion about chemical weapons in Syria. People are going to react to the pictures and the videos without without paying attention to the context and the meaning. And that's that's sometimes in Syria, if it, if it makes us stop tragedy, maybe that's a good thing. But maybe here it's it's all very complicated. You don't want to be the kind of people who say the media shouldn't be there. The media shouldn't be showing us what's happening because overall, as we pointed out with Syria. The more sunlight you shine, sunlight, what do they say? Sunlight's the best disinfectant. The more we know what's really going on, the better. But the media has a tendency to frame Israel stories within a narrative as Israel is the Goliath. And the media isn't going to necessarily understand the nuances of what's going on. And that's what Hamas knows is going to happen. That's, that's why Hamas is probably doing it. And you also talk about the visuals. You can't really, like, they're just, if you're a news agency, they're just more interesting visuals coming from the Gazan side, let's say like that. When you're you, have making- a guy, you have a guy writhing on the floor and bleeding to death, and he died wearing his press bulletproof vest. And it turns out he was, he's not really a journalist per se. He's a, he's a public relations guy for Hamas. But the visual is the visual, and it makes, it makes Israel look bad. And Israel... In the choice between Israel defending her borders and security and the security of the citizens of the state of Israel, Israel has a military war and a public relations war. Israel keeps Israel understandably has to prioritize the military war. I don't think it's very good at fighting the public relations war. Hamas knows it can't win any victories, really, in the military war. Not, nothing significant. And so it has prioritized its public relations war, and it's getting very good at it. It learned from the... It, it, had tried, it, it scored major victories in 2014, making Israel look bad, by forcing Israel to kill civilians. And it's doing it now on a smaller scale because there was a downside to that strategy that they've avoided this time around by keeping the casualties low and not interfering with the infrastructure of life, not causing the Israelis to blow up buildings. We also know Hamas is teetering, so a big war with Hamas, they're very afraid it would collapse collapse the Hamas uh, government in Gaza. I mean, this is the problem with the Palestinian, for the Palestinian people, is they have irresponsible, incompetent, and evil leaders exploiting, do, doing whatever they have to do to stay in power, and their situation will not improve until that changes. Israel has to keep itself safe. Israel will do what it can to make life better for Palestinians. <laughs> And Israel's made that clear and continues to make that clear. But there's only so much you can do. You know, when guys are coming up to the border, Hamas leaders holding children over them so that they won't get shot. Like, it's just... 
Uh, and this is, you know, we, we keep making this plea over and over. The world has to look at the Palestinians and say, as adults, are you making decisions that are making your world better? You need to so that, you know, and, and we also have to talk about what Israel can do. But you, it can't only be Israel. That makes no sense. I mean, I think you're getting back to a point that we teach a lot in class and we're also speak about here is about seeing Israel. It's not only a David versus Goliath, but it's actually a passive versus an active player, which is in the Matty Friedman article from 2014, which he talks about how the Palestinians are, are the passive the passive players. And here again, they're the passive players. They're the guys who are sort of hanging out, picnicking on the, near the fence, and Israel snipers are picking them off. You know, that's the narrative. That's more than a David. That's even not even a David Goliath. That's like this. I think that comes from that weird racism of, well, Arabs aren't responsible for what they do, but the Israelis are responsible, so why is everything so bad? There's a weird racism to Arabs that, like, well, you can't hold them accountable. Their decisions, they're, you know, I don't expect them to make good decisions, but it's so weird. And, you know, you have to demand that they get, that that, that leadership be, be responsible for there to be a better future. And we're not going to allow ourselves to be harmed while they're going through that process of cultural maturation. I don't know what to call it, but it's really a, it really is a problem. And they're in the PR war. That's where we are. I, I don't know how to talk about it on campus other than just by being honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, in the end of the day, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a lose-lose like that. That's why I say it's a lose-lose for Israel, but there's really no alternative. I know, and that means we're going to look bad and people are going to complain, and we can explain. And I think for people who are open-minded and listen, it'll make a difference, but they're still going to walk away having seen these pictures that upset them. When it upsets us, we're upset, but it affects us differently than if you weren't connected to Israel and you saw those pictures. You would probably end up with negative feelings about Israel as a... As a yeah, those are crazy noises. <laughs> uh but I, I, I just think that's what's going to happen. That's what Hamas is doing. And we can do what we can to explain it. But I think they're, they're scoring. They're, they're achieving their tactical goals without understanding that it's part of a failed strategy. And so ultimately it's self-defeating for them, even as their tactics do achieve results. Yeah, I mean, pretty much that's it. I think the the only thing I would add to that is that, you know, those of us who are, you know, Zionists and love Israel should know that, it, you know, we, we do have a leg to stand on here, right? As we've, as we've discussed here, the, the real issues are the real issues and not to be, not to be too thrown off by the, the public relations assault. And, not to be, and, and to be open-minded but also skeptical to all sides. In other words, if the army tells you nothing we did was wrong at all, well, let's see. And if the media tells you everything they're doing is wrong, well, I'm going to be very more skeptical of that even than, than I am of the army. And, and, and the historical record bears that out. It's not, that's not because of my jingoism or my sense of patriotism. It's because overall, over time, the accusations go through the media. Then they get investigated, both internally in Israel and externally outside of Israel. And it turns out that the Israelis, more or less, usually come out at least as... I, let me put it this way. I don't think there's a more... I don't think any army on earth has a better moral track record than the state of Israel. So I'll always give them the benefit of the doubt. Although, bad things happen, and those people have to be held accountable, and they are. So I don't want to, I don't want to be the kind of person who says, well, anything on the media must be false because they all hate Jews and they all hate Israel. You want that 
you want citizens to be able to see what's going on so that they can make demands of their government. So I don't want to discredit media per se. You're, you're just saying do your due diligence. Read multiple, read multiple sources, think critically, ask the right questions, right? The things we push in. I, I would argue that that's the burden of good citizenship is to be an uh, educated consumer of information. Do we want to say a word about Yom Shah, which starts tonight? <laughs> well, I think I think it's uh, I, I, I think that Yom Hashoah is, is an interesting day in Israel. Israel Israelis have had a difficult relationship with the Holocaust from the early days, where Israelis, you know, imagine fighting off millions of Arabs, and then all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of survivors of the genocide come across your borders. Israelis had trouble understanding uh, the why why. They thought there was something wrong with the Jews of Europe. Yeah, I would also pray that to guilt also. Uh, Zionist guilt that they, you know, they weren't able to save their families because many, many of those Israelis lost most of their families in Europe. And they had come here. They had, I'm not saying it really, but it felt they would abandoned their families and turned that inverse to, you know, why couldn't you do anything? Um, uh, I just came from uh, uh, a uh, of Har Herzl the military cemetery with TVA and I went to the and we started the Andarta the memorial that uh, memorializes those who survived the Holocaust were the last of their families to survive and then died in the independence war and their families is called Netzer Acharon and I thought that was a very very powerful that, that transition from Shoah to Kuma that they didn't have a biological uh, continuation but yet we remember them and we are in sense if not biological less spiritual continuation it's really more than you can wrap your head around I remember in reading uh, Howard Bloom's book The Brigade which is such a powerful book about the Haganah uh, going into Europe towards the end of the war and the Jewish Brigade I, there's a, there's there are moments where you have Haganah soldiers wearing British military uniforms with a Jewish star on it standing with in the camps with you know black and white stripes with yellow stars uh, people who survived the camp I mean it's it's a cra- we live in a crazy era of history that you know we have to always avoid taking anything for granted either either Yom HaShoah or Yom HaZikaron or Yom HaTzma'ut where it, these Yoms are supposed to Yoms <laughs> these days are supposed to make us realize what, a, what an astonishing moment of history we live in and really, I hope be in, you know, I hope that this isn't just a moment of m- 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 remembering. It's also a moment of walking away with a sense of meaning and purpose and mission in our lives. That if we live in this in these major turning point moments in Jewish history, that I, I would even use the word obligates us to move that story forward. However, it is we understand it. We can we can interpret it differently and we can take action differently. But we should all be. Inspired is probably the wrong word, but but moved. Yeah, I mean, I like to say that the, really the best, uh, we, obviously the remembering and memorial is very important, but but that's memorial to their lives is to really um, live for what they, they either couldn't have lived for or died for. And part of that is to be as Jewish as you can be, whatever you think that is. That's, to me, that's the best. It's strong Jewish identity. It's uh, making sure that the Jewish people have, uh, have a, a, a safe ability to prosper and to grow. And have a strong future. Exactly. All right. Well, 
Now I can't tell if I'm uh, inspired or depressed, but probably a mix. Yom man. That's Yom Shoah. That's probably a mixture. That's kind of being a Jew. Uh, so thanks so much, Alan. Good to have you back. It's great to be back, Mike. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us. And you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.